Topic today is God is good. Believing God is good no matter what. Day one of our devotional, the title is There is No Goodness Apart from God. Um, so I'm going to just get into it. Some people assume God is angry most of the time and that his favor lasts only for a moment. But the Bible tells us it's just the opposite. You are always the apple of his eye, even when you feel like spoiled fruit. <laughs> God has moved on from that bad thing you did or that terrible thing you said. He may have been angry or disappointed in the moment, but he's moved on. Have you? You don't have to worry about falling out of favor because of a failure. God's goodness is ongoing and never runs out. His favor is always around us, on us, and with us. God's favor is forever. In fact, goodness does not exist apart from God. It did not originate on its own, aside of, or apart from him. It's definitely not something that originates with human beings. Do you have to train your children to be bad or good? God is the source of all goodness and all good things. Some people are still separate good from God, still separate God good from God, which can deteriorate mankind's need to thank, honor, and worship him. So I'll read that last part again. God is the source of all good things and all good things. Some people separate good from God, which can deteriorate man's kind need to thank, honor, and worship him. This study is about starting the journey to train your eyes to see the otherwise unseen goodness of God and what his favor looks like in your everyday life. For the next five days, you will begin to see your life through the lens of God's favor. worries however this is a live live there is no goodness apart from god some people assume god is angry most of the time and that his favor only lasts a moment but the bible tells us it's just the opposite you are always the apple of his eye even when you feel like spoiled fruit (laughs) god has moved on from that bad thing that you did that terrible thing that you said He may have been angry or disappointed in the moment, but he's moved on. Have you? You don't have to worry about falling out of favor because of a failure. God's goodness is ongoing and never runs out. His favor is always around us, on us, and with us. God's favor is forever. In fact, goodness does not exist apart from God. It did not originate on its own, aside of, or apart from him. It's definitely not something that originates with human beings. Do you have to train your children to be bad or good? God is the source of all goodness and all good things. Some people still separate good from God, which can deteriorate man's need to thank, honor, and worship him. This study is about starting the journey to train your eyes to see the otherwise unseen goodness of God and what his favor looks like in your everyday life. 
For the next five days, you will begin to see your life through the lens of God's favor. Think about it. What are some good things in your life that are easy to overlook? Pray. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. Are we all supposed to say that? Mm-hmm. For being present in my life. For being, being present, present in, in my life. life. Help me to open. Help me to, to open my up my eyes, up my eyes. To, see to see that you are the source that you are the source of all good things of all good things and that you bring favor that you bring favor into my everyday life into my life every day in Jesus name amen Jesus name amen Uh, The first scripture is Jeremiah 32, and it is, let's go to, I've been using the Amplified Classic. Um, uh, Yours changed the message because it was on my phone, so let's get you, I think the NLT would be good. Okay, um, so we all have different versions, but... uh, Ever, why don't you share what it says in the New American Standard? And, Mom, you can share the New Living Translation. Okay. It is Jeremiah uh, 32. And I actually can get it. You have it in front of you, Mom. Would you like to just start the reading? And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their heart to worship me and they will never leave me. Amen. So that is that's really good Uh, because like the devotional stated a lot of times we don't really call out or recognize the goodness in God Mm -hmm. because we're just so trained either by the world or even in churches sometimes to think God (coughs) is waiting for us to screw up so he can punish us. Mm -hmm. Like that's all he does is sits on his throne on high in his sovereignty waiting for us to screw up so he can kill us. And that can be, you know, um, further from the truth. Uh, We see in Jeremiah 32 and 40, that that's not the case. Uh, Amber, do you want to read from your your version? Yes. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts mm. so that they will not turn away from me. My God, that's awesome. I'm going to highlight that. And he did that with Jesus, right? That's an everlasting covenant with Jesus. Jesus definitely died on the cross. And that fulfilled that covenant with God. That everlasting covenant. Mine says in the Amplified Classic. In Jeremiah 32, 40, it says. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from following them to do good. And I will put my reverential fear in their hearts. So that they will not depart from me. So that is 
that is powerful. And that's Jeremiah 32 um, in verse 40. Yeah. <laughs> this water up under here. That's right. You got it? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> you good. Okay, so... Verse 40, verse 40. Can you read your version? Okay. Yeah, we everlasting covenant with them that I would not that I would not turn away from doing them good, but I would put my fear in their hearts so that they would not depart from me. Do you know what a covenant is? Because I think a lot of times we read these words, we look over it and we don't understand it. Yep, that's cool. So we can, we're on it. So uh, I can explain the covenant, but y'all probably just like, okay, <laughs> tired of my, my voice. I understand. I podcast, so I get tired Honestly, of my voice. It's like a, a contract, mm-hmm. a binding contract that will never be able to be void or. It's a legal document. You know. If you do wrong, and this is gonna, I'm gonna erase this. It's a, it's a contract. Mm-hmm. To sum it all, it's a blood contract. I can't say, can't simplify that too much because of the potency of the covenant of God. Mm-hmm. But in layman's term, it's just a contract. But in God, it's just not just a contract. It was His blood sealed with that. Yes, ma'am. And. Um, it this right here, uh, the covenant that's absolutely right, M. It says there is an agreement to agree by lease, deed, or other legal contract. So, this is just some definitely, uh, it's a clause contract, uh, an agreement which brings a relationship of commitment between God and his people. The Jewish faith is based on biblical covenants made with Abraham, Moses, and David. Not just the Jewish faith, our faith. Our faith is based on those covenants because he said an everlasting covenant that they will always reverentially fear me. That is actually the tenet of our faith. That's the main principle of our faith, that Jesus Christ is enough to satisfy the debt of sin, his life. Um, so it definitely is, uh, a part of, of what we believe. Um, so definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, so reading that again, I will make a everlasting, um, covenant. And so that's a contract. Um, so in the amplified, con- uh, amplified Bible, it says in Jeremiah 32, um, 
because it breaks down all those words. Just a second, guys. Gotta wait till my Bible catches up with what I'm doing. But I was wanting to look at the word everlasting because that's not something that a lot of us probably think about because it's not a word that you use very often. It's also is a very old, old word, um, but it's it's meaning forever and everlasting covenant means just forever. It'll never end. You don't have to worry about there being an expiration of God's covenant with us. And that's powerful because the blood covenant that they made or a lot of the the time when they would kill animals and stuff like that in the Old Testament, it was it was just for that moment, you know, and even God said he wouldn't he wasn't satisfied with the blood of animals or goats. So there needed to be something permanent, more permanent. Those were just temporary. And they would have to make those coven, those uh, those sacrifices with those animals every year. They would make a yearly sacrifice. When Hannah was in uh, coming to the temple with her husband, they were doing that every year. They were coming to that temple to make sacrifices for the forgiveness of their family sins. That was an every year thing. It wasn't like a situation where... You know, you made the but you would get the lamb and you would kill it, mm-hmm. and that would be it for the entirety of your life or the entirety of life. Every year you had to make a certain uh, blood sacrifice, and you had to go to the temple and you had to, you know, do, uh, you know, whatever sin required a different type of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Some, if you read in uh, Deuteronomy, because I used to read the Old Testament a lot. Each sin had pretty much a different kind of sacrifice. Like this is the sin for, this is the sacrifice for if you accidentally kill somebody or, you know, these things, there were just different sacrifices for each offense, pretty much. This covenant with God keeps us from all of that. We got to do all that. (laughs) It takes the works part out of the blood or of the covenant and puts it on God where he says, look, I'm going to provide the lamb, Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> I would do it. We didn't have to do anything but believe. Mm-hmm. Our part of the 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 sacrifice is to believe that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for our sins. That's all we had to show up and do. <laughs> and God took care of the rest. He sacrificed the lamb. So when you think about that, it makes you grateful because we didn't live in the days where we had to have a lamb. If we didn't have a, have a lamb, we had to have a turtle dove. Every year we had to make a sacrifice. We had to remember all the sins that we committed. Mm-hmm. Go to the priest, confess it, mm-hmm. then have him make the sacrifice, cut the animal open, spill the blood, burn the certain sacrifices. We didn't have to do that. We just have to go to God and repent. Mm-hmm. And our mm-hmm. sins are forgiven. When you think of it in that light, because it's so easy to read these words like covenant uh, and think of these things in in small in a small light. It really puts God in the perspective of a good God. When you think about what those Old Testament believers had to do, they had to go through some things, baby, <laughs> to to be for to be forgiven. You know, and we we have to believe. And our part is so much easier than that. So. When when we read this, we have to keep in mind what these words mean. And we also have to keep in mind that that sacrifice that 
Jesus made, it wasn't no little thing, you know? It wasn't a little thing. That's a big deal because it kept us from having to make those sacrifices. And those poor animals, poor animals, you just be a turtle dove chilling and you're a sacrifice. <laughs> just cut you open. Oh, I committed this sin. Poor lambs, you know, all these things just getting killed for the sacrifice. But, amen. Anybody have anything they want to add to that? Okay, I say this. What do you, do you think that we still kind of have a sacrifice mindset in the church where we feel like we still have to do these things? Not necessarily killing the animals, but other sacrifices if you sin. Do you think that there's just going to be, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're covered by the blood sacrifice. Or do you think it's more so you get, you are made to feel like you have to do these sacrifices of, of different things, not necessarily animals, but, you know, like, okay, well, I got to repent and I got to start going to church and I have to, you know, dress a certain way or act a certain way to be considered a Christian. So we was done with the sacrifices as far as the Old Testament thing, okay. right? Yeah, we are. We definitely are. Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But do you think that's our reality in the church? Our reality? Do you think people really do, like if you, you commit a sin, that you know, this is a sin, clear, the Bible says it's a sin. Do you think people are really... Um, accepting of Jesus just being enough or do you think that people do a lot of performing when they sin or feel like they have to sacrifice <clears throat> you know what I'm going to tell you this it kind of reminds me of when me and your daddy got together and uh, I uh, I remember we uh, before uh, Willie and I got married we ended up having sex Mm. Okay. Got it. And uh, that was a hard situation for me. I could not kick it. I'm telling you, I, what they call that, I. Condemn. Yeah. Condemnation. Yes. I was like, oh my God, I can't even believe this. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But um, it, it took, I remember, I remember talking to the Lord about the situation. And he said to me, he said, the moment. That you asked me to forgive you, hmm. I forgave you. He said wow. you couldn't forgive yourself, mm -hmm. and you need to forgive yourself. Wow! And I was like, oh my God, that's powerful. It blew me out of the water. I was like, oh Lord have mercy, you know. But uh, yeah, there's been some things and some times, you know. Hmm. And, hey, <laughs> I was like, Lord help me. I think that's interesting, I don't have Mom. No stones to throw. How about that? I think that's very interesting because one of, I remember the woman that got caught in adultery. Do y'all remember the story? And they brought her before Jesus to, to, to stone her, to kill her. Because he was like, we're going to kill you. And I always ask myself the question, how did you know that she was committing adultery? And where was the man that was committing adultery with you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I... I, because there's two parts to that, you know, where's the man? And when Jesus said, let he that's amongst you cast the first stone, he said amongst you, he was without sin. He could have stoned that woman. And what I always remember about that story is that 
he said, he said to her, where is he that accused you? Once, once all those people walked away, he said, where is he that accused you? When we, first of all, when there's condemnation and the, some, in some circles, the church has been called, nicknamed the condemnation nation. Mm. <laughs> and that's sad because Romans clearly tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation mm. for them who are in Christ Jesus, who are called not according to the flesh, but to his purpose. There is very clear. God is very clear that there's no condemnation in those who believe. But I distinctly remember like that nickname. And I'm, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. But when you think about it in the church, we have this, this standard where, you know, when a person gets pregnant, mm -hmm. when a woman gets pregnant, mm -hmm. there's always the woman there mm -hmm. that, that everybody is ready to cast the stones at, right? Mm -hmm. In the, the situation with the woman in adultery, it was the, just the woman there. The church has a tendency in, in when it's involving sexual sin to put this woman on the chopping block. And it's never the man. And so a lot of times our, our system, because it's based on patriarchy and it's based on, um, what is it? Uh, it's like a chauvinism, you know? <clears throat> Male chauvinism, how women bear the brunt of the sin. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to Amber. Do you mind if I share what I said about, you know, if everybody got pregnant? Okay. So I remember talking to Amber one time and she was, she was feeling, uh, you know, kind of the condemnation of having a baby and not being, you know, married to their father. And I told her, I said, Amber, if we all got pregnant every single time we sin, <laughs> I said, baby, there, this, this stigma wouldn't be so heavy, but because a lot of, because men can't get pregnant for one, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and because every sin doesn't lead to uh, an outward sign, I said, like, what if people, that's what it was. I said, what if people had a physical tale mm -hmm. that you could tell every single time, like Pinocchio, mm -hmm. if you lie, your nose will grow. Mm -hmm. If you got some about people, you got a big old boulder on your stomach. Mm -hmm. I said, every, People would not feel like they were in a position, and you keep me honest. Is is it was it something like that? People wouldn't feel like they could point the finger at other people that get pregnant because pregnancy is just the outward sign of something that you've done. But we all have sin, and if we had to wear a physical sign of that sin everywhere we go, people would stop. All of this, oh, well, you know, you got pregnant out of this. You got, because then it's like, oh, but baby, you gossip. Because I can see that big old boulder you got on your stomach. That does, that comes from gossiping. <laughs> or, oh, you got that long nose because you'll be lying. Or, you know, just different things. So, ultimately, to, to, to say this, I feel like we still have to do more so the brunt of it is on women. The brunt of it is on women. Like men have hid behind their sins behind women. When a, a man cheats on his wife, it's always the other woman that's villainized. It's never the person who actually entered into that covenant. It's never the person who actually owed that woman everything. You know, you owe her to be faithful. I think that, yes, the church 
has um, I've cultivated some things. Like it's a breeding ground for condemnation. But also I'm I'm a believer of everybody has to play their part. Mm-hmm. And the church is part. made up of individuals. Yes. And I believe that um because I can't go around and say, okay, and this is from a, a found revelation of some things that God deals with me with. And yes, I totally agree that men or other people whose sins are not shown. Visible. It's not visible. They don't have to wear it. Then it's, you don't know how to deal. The people don't say too much, but the ones that are shown, they go through a lot. But I remember in that situation, I was scared to tell the pastor that I was under that I literally was a fear mm. to tell this man that and I remember the Lord was showing me like do you see how fearful you are to tell a man mm. when you know that I had I'm your father I've mm. seen this before anybody mm. else seen it mm-hmm. and contrary even when the the man of God had so much didn't condemn me or pass judgment on me mm-hmm. I felt awkward Mm. In the sense of like, dang, here I am scared to tell him, but mm. he didn't even pass on mm-hmm. what's called. But how much more were God? And it it goes back to understanding. And when I realized that religion is not just um, also something that you see on the outside. Religion can be a heart thing. And mm. I think that's the most deceptive thing because a lot of people talk about the outward appearance. Mm. But see, God, you can have religion in your heart mm. to where you don't even recognize the only God and he deals with that. Mm. Because I think about how um, condemnation keeps you, shame keeps you. These mm. things come because you feel like, <laughs> oh, I should have done this or Absolutely. I should have did this. And in reality, I was telling Zay when I got pregnant with Mariah, I said, Zay, I thought I was perfect. I thought I was perfect because I went to church. I didn't do certain things. I mm. didn't do that. But that is religion. That wasn't a relationship. Mm. And one thing I told her, I said, I'm not perfect unless I'm in, I am in him. Yes. Him who is perfect. I made need to be perfect. Has made me perfect. Yeah, and so absolutely. That is a difference between a relationship and religion. Um, mm-hmm. My where God. you have to understand that yeah. yes, you may be going to church and you may be reading, you may be doing Bible study, you may be doing these things, but your heart, God yes. clearly says that man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on the, the heart, heart. Mm-hmm. Oh, person, I remember so many times the things that I would do on the outside people only judged it that way and myself too I've judged other people from the outward appearance but then not understand God looks on the heart because yes. I can be saying something angry I could be angry and that religion they're talking about is the religion of these sacrificial things trying to make it happen your own way um and one thing i can't say i just thank god for this devotion because this right here is showing me it's mirroring the things that's in me and where god can change that Mm -hmm. because we can have a head knowledge 
is typically the outward thing of what religion is or what God was calling it. But until you take an assessment of the heart, hmm. the outward actions of religion come from inward thinking. Yes. You're right. So, From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you also, your actions can be born out of that because of your internal environment. Mm-hmm. Your internal environment is an attitude of religion. Let me tell you something. It's going to take years for many of us to understand that God never desired the performance. God never desired the performance. The performance is something that we added to it. We're going to give a little zest to God's grace. So I'm going to just zest it up. Put a little parsley here. Sprinkle this. God don't need any of that. Because he says our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And when you look at the, the context of that. It was referring to our righteousness like period rags. Like when you're done off of your cycle. Those rags. Mm. And. When you think about that in comparison to God's goodness, you're authoring, offering him these filthy, you know, mm. cycle rags. I'm not trying to be gross, mm. but that's actually the context mm. of what was shared is you're offering God your used tampons, mm. you know, maxi pads. Mm. I'm trying to be discreet because we have a child here. But, you know, it, it's ultimately you're offering God that. Like, you done off your period. Here, God, here's what's left. Mm. This is my righteousness. We know that's unsanitary. We know that's gross. As women, we know that's gross. We know that that's not sanitary. That's not something lovely. That's not a gift. Mm. You're not offering God anything <laughs> but trash. Mm. <laughs> and your righteousness has got to come from him. Amen. Even, I mean, you get, you have to speak to your feelings, though, ultimately. You have to speak to your feelings, and you have to say, you know, God made the ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Whatever good works I do is born out of my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I would do things for people and that God had told me to do. And they would be like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're so kind. And I would feel so awkward. And now reading this study, I know why. Because it's God, the God in me, the righteous man in me that did the work. So me taking credit for it, it just feel awkward. Like, you know, you tell me to hand you that cup. And somebody tell, and I do, or hand someone a cup for you. And I do it. And they're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I'm like... I just did it because she told me to. My mama told me to. In that sense, when our father tells us something to do or encourages us to treat people in a loving way, which he does, he treats, encourages us to love people, regardless of which sin you think they're involved in. It's not your business. When he tells us to love on people and you do that and they go to thinking it's just you, that goes back to what this Bible study is talking about, where you take the reflection of goodness off of God and you try to separate God from goodness and there's no goodness outside of God and so you're just like oh yeah I'll take the credit for that I'm a kind person I'm this I'm that but in reality you only do the good things you do you only have the ability to be good to people because God is good and he lives in us Mm -hmm. so ultimately you taking credit for 
somebody else's work. It's plagiarism, <laughs> if you will. So our next scripture is Psalm 30. Psalm 30, and I'm going to go back some a little bit here to Psalm 30. I'm reading in the King James Version as well as the um, the Amplified. I need to go to the Amplified Classic because that would be the one, baby. That'd be the one, and it include the scriptures. So Psalm 30, verse 5, and for you, Mama. Oh, yes, it is, huh? <laughs> yep, very easy, very convenient. Uh, okay, so Psalm 35, verse 5, and you can read your version, Mom. You have Mom's reading from the New Living Translation. Ready? Yes, ma'am. Anger. I don't need to read it. Do I need to? Should I? No, nope, you got to read it. For this anger, for his anger lasts only a moment, mm. but his favor lasts mm. a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Amen. What does your version say, uh, Amber? Uh, for his anger is but for a moment, his savior is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, Bianca, mm -hmm. what does your version say? I have uh, King James Version. Okay, go ahead and read that. That's good. Okay, perfect. Mine in the Amplified Classic says, For his favor is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime, and his favor is life. Or his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes, for, comes in the morning. So, just a second, guys. Okay, so mine says Psalm Psalm 30, uh, Amplified Cla Classic 30, verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime, or in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And then it references 2 Chronicles, or 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And you know how, well, it's an expression that a lot of young people say, Ma. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, that's live. Or, ooh, you know, yeah. uh, fries are live. People say everything is live. <laughs> Which is, is, is not, I mean, it, it kind of mute. It's funny because I know it's a joke, but it's it kind of, when you read stuff like that, when you read something that says his favor is in his favor is life, mm -hmm. that kind of takes away from the meaning of that because you're just like, oh, everything is life. Bread is life. You know, this is life. Jim is life. All this stuff is life. But in reality, none of it is life. It's a part of everyday life, but it's just or something you may enjoy in life. But this is life. His favor is life. A lot of times people are like, oh, this is life or that's life. I just think it's interesting how. 
the Bible calls life something totally different. It's not the things you enjoy in the life, but the what's going to happen when you leave this life. When you read Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, they talks about they talk about the vanity of life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is written by Solomon, who was very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Solomon had hundreds of horses, clothing, all these different wives he had. I think it's some estimate over a hundred wives, just a ridiculous number of wives and concubines. He had all of the things, the good things that life could uh, offer. And he was wealthier than a lot of people will ever know of in this lifetime. But he said all of that stuff was vanity. And he should. I mean, when you think about it, it is all these natural things. And then he began to equate these things with life being just vanity that there's no purpose in life because he had all these things and they didn't fulfill him. But it's so interesting because David was his father. And David would would beg to different beg to differ. David didn't have all these things. And David didn't ha- come to the conclusion that life was vanity. But what was the difference? Because Solomon had all of the clothes, all of the wealth, all the women, all the cars, okay, we're gonna say cars in quotations because he had chariots, which is would be the equivalent of a Maserati or a Mustang or what all these nice cars people like. He had all these material things and he said life is vain. But then David here got looked over as Jesse's son. I mean, the the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house and he said, Okay, Jesse, the Lord told me to come here. Show me your sons, because God told me one of your sons is the one I have to anoint as the next king of, 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 mm-hmm. of all of all of Israel. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay. So he bring most of his sons, except for David. Mm-hmm. That's rejection right there. He presented most of his sons to him. Like, okay, these are my sons. Mm-hmm. And so Saul look, or Samuel was like looking, and he looking at the physical characteristics. And one of them was tall. Mm-hmm. One of them was handsome. Mm-hmm. And he like, okay, it surely got to be him gotta be him and the lord like no no not him not him and so finally it dawns on the prophet to say do you have another son because i know i heard from god do you have another son and he go get david that would be rejection then he went through what he david went through persecution from saul he went through uh all kinds of things sleeping in caves but yet david didn't come to this idea that life is is vain but then you have Saul and he has all these things and it has all these, uh, this material wealth. And he says that life is vain and he has all the women <laughs> and he says life is vain. Why? Because a lot of us think that if we get these material things, if we have, you know, a nice car, a nice house, we're going to be set for life. And in reality, if we had all of those things, we would probably shut ourselves up in our gated communities and start thinking that life is vain. We would stop thinking that God is good and start to think that we are good and thus deserving of these things. And so life is vain. But God, but it's so, it's so interesting how uh, David never lost sight of God's goodness. Which is her favor? His favor outweighs his anger, and sometimes mm. we see it, see it the opposite mm. way, to where we see 
we th- we perceive or we believe mm-hmm. his anger is for a lifetime and his favor mm-hmm. is but a moment. And that's not true. It's contrary to what mm-hmm. the word of God is saying, is saying that his favor is a lifetime, not only in this life, but in the one to come. Absolutely. And then his anger is just for a moment. And so, that is crazy because we zone out on the the goodness. Uh, yeah, but we zone in on the bad, the ugly, and we forget. A lot of times we lose relationships with people. Mm-hmm. We lose relationship, and we we turn away from God because something that we have to endure for a moment. Mm-hmm. We leave him. Okay, a family member passed. I remember one of my kids' dad said that they stopped believing in God. Because they had prayed to, to God and his faith dad had died. And um, I think about that. Like, you can't blame people for that. Wow. You can't blame them. You know, but here, because they have this false sense of who God is. So, um, it wasn't his fault that his dad died. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't God's fault that his dad died. You know, but I think about how we feel like when bad things come, put we all of that on God. Oh, if you are all knowing, all seeing, why did you let this happen? Mm. Da, 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 da. Mm. And then, but when grace comes or His favor, <laughs> never you, attribute that. that no, to you God. don't attribute that to God. You attribute it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so so this is a false conception, uh, false reality of what you think God is. It goes back to white and black, God and the devil, or relationship or religion. But we can move on. I like that because a lot of people never thank God or acknowledge him. Mm. And when you look at... So, yeah. Okay. So, Amber was saying in the last clip, and we got a portion of it there that we forget that God's favor is for just a moment or God's uh, anger is just for a moment and that his favor lasts for a lifetime. We, a lot of us got it twisted and it's backwards. And that's actually what the devotional was saying is that we, for we do think that God's favor is just moment, like catch it on sale. Like it's a coupon or something. And then we treat God's favor like that. But then we think that his anger is just still on us because we still remember it. And I like what you said, mom, when you were saying that when you went to God and you prayed to him because you felt heavy condemnation, that God was like, you know, I've been over that. (laughs) Pretty much you need to forgive yourself because that's what's the lingering that you're feeling. It's not from God. I've been in a in a an environment, a religious environment where if a person did something, it didn't matter how long ago it was, it was fair game to be brought up at any point during a sermon. And I I thought that was so that's actually why I ended up leaving that place because it was just condemnation nation. Every time you would go there, if that minister was feeling a certain type of way about it, they'd bring it up. If I did something two years ago, I don't want to hear about it in your sermon. 
sir, unless you're you're using that to well, even then, you don't even need to use me in a, as an example in my sermons and your sermons. If you cannot pick up the word, if it does not directly line up to the word, you bringing up things that I did to hurt you or your family should not be brought up seven years later. I'm sorry that 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 is not really the principle of God. The principle of forgiveness, the principle of, you know, redemption. And you just keep on bringing this stuff up. And I don't want to be a part of your sermon. So I'm going to leave. I don't want to be targeted when I sit down in your pew. I don't want to feel like, oh, there's a target on my back because you're feeling some type of way about me. So now you're about to make up a whole sermon about me and how I'm wrong. And that what? how does that benefit God's church as well? Well, why are you taking God's okay. precious time? When you're supposed to be teaching that these part. folks, and uh, you somewhere trying to <laughs> criticize them as if you're perfect and or it, if you're God itself, God don't even know. Okay, it. and it caused me to question God's goodness because yeah. I'm like, well, you know, Lord, I know you told me to be here, but God was also telling me to get up and leave, mm. and uh, it was a, a certain period of time, and I won't, you know, get off into too many details, but there was a period in time where. They did something to someone and the, the, the leadership in the church did something to someone that I was dear friends with. Mm. And that person had already had a really bad time in the church with other people mm. in a different uh, setting. Mm. And so it was like God was showing me this is this is your out. You need to leave. Mm. And it wasn't until months later that I left. But I left because this was already, God was already telling me to go out of this place. And I I would literally sit down and I would never think of God's goodness when I would sit in their services. That's how I knew. That was my red flag because God is good all the time. He's good. You may not understand him. You may not understand his works, his ways. I remember this man was saying, oh, well, Lord, where were you when my son uh, was dying? He said I was in the same place. That I was when my son was dying. And I, when you think about the sacrifice that God has made with Jesus, however you may feel about well, what kind of lo- God will do this and that. You need, let me tell you something. You don't even know how it is that you're even drawing the breath to go ahead and accuse God of not being good or him not him being sadistic and all these things that the world says about God to question his goodness. You don't even know how it is that your heart be- is beating. At any moment, that air supply can cut off. At any moment, your heart can stop beating. Because in him, we live and breathe and have our being. It is through him. If you don't understand, if God God has done something, or you feel like God is behind something. Because a lot of times, what we suffer through or what other people suffer through is a direct result of disobedience or a rebellious or sin lifestyle. But even if it's not, and you feel like this person has served the church and they've been this and that, it is not your place to try to take God's sovereignty and put it on trial. Hmm. You don't even know how you're breathing in and out. You don't even know how your heart is beating. You don't know what it is in your body that tells your blood to pump. You're not the giver of life. Like God said to Job. He said, can you take a drop of water in your hand and weigh out all the water on the earth? You do not have the ability to question that type of God because you don't even know 
you're working from your limited not knowledge. You're coming from a place of a lack of of understanding and you're questioning the almighty God. That's not going to work out. <laughs> so over time, you begin to see if you sit down in a in a church and you you can't even think of God's goodness. Like when you sit in there, you're just like, oh, this is painful. I just got to sit here for how many more hours? You probably need to leave that church. I'm not God. I'm not telling you to pack up. but you, Or do some soul searching within yourself. Um, Aubrey, 